This program was recorded at 8 a.m. Jakarta time on 25 January. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the program. Welcome to Reformasi Dispatch. I'm Jeff Hutton, Regional Correspondent for the Straits Times of Singapore. And I am Kevin O'Rourke from the Reformasi Weekly Service Analyzing Indonesian Politics and Policymaking. On today's program, West Java Governor Ridwan Kamil joins Golkar and the political multiverse explodes. The government cracks down in Morawali after violent protests between Indonesian workers and Chinese managers leave three dead. And Kevin talks with Ruby Khalifa, the Secretary General and Indonesian Rep for the Asian Muslim Action Network on the hideous practice of female genital mutilation in Indonesia. But first, a bit of housekeeping. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you to anyone, to those of you who have uh, donated at buymeacoffee.com slash reformasi. Uh, the money is coming in, uh, not a moment too soon. Uh, if you haven't and are in a position to help, there's still time. In fact, there's always time. The money's coming in, but we need it coming in consistently. We're going to actually look for an editor today. We're going to start uh, the search for a freelancer. So we are, I mean, we've been doing this now. We're in our third year now. And um, to get the, the donations and the, the warm comments that come with them, it's really heartening. It's really a big help. We're totally independent, so it makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. It's really heartening. Uh, it means a lot, and it helps keeps us going. We're independent, and there's not a whole lot of that in journalism. Need more of it. Okay. Uh, in politics, the respectable, effective, highly regarded, and, well, just plain handsome Ridwan Kamil joined Golkar political party that is none of those things and potentially signaling a bid for high office. Or is he? In one of our Mar Marvel universes, Camille could be running for vice president on a ticket led by Central Java Governor Ganjar Pranowo. The political superhero duo might just prevail against any manner of political darkness, not least Megawati's penchant for resentment and petty score settling, or Camille may be considering a bid for the top job itself. Or is he laying the groundwork for another term as West Java's governor at elections in November 2024? A, B, or C, Kevin, what do you think? I'm going to go with A. I'm going to be the optimist uh, for once in my uh, long career analyzing the heartbreaking stories of Indonesian okay. politics. Mark the time and place, optimist. <laughs> You know, the uh, advent in 2005 of direct popular elections for regional heads for over 500 district level regions and 34, now 39, uh, I think, uh, provinces has been the biggest political trend in democratization in, in politics in Indonesia. I think it's ultimately more important than the direct election of the president themselves uh, specifically because what's happening uh, clearly right now is that these uh, regional head elections are feeding talent into national politics where candidates then go on to contest for the presidency. So previously there was a country that had this vast dichotomy between a, a tiny, extremely powerful, extremely wealthy elite that was very much insulated and self-serving on the one hand, and then a massive uh, general population on the other hand who suffered uh, quite a lot of neglect, not not horrific neglect, as not not as bad as some countries, but uh, still, um, it was a big problem. And uh, democratization is meant to bridge that gap. And um, you know, knock on wood, that may be what is unfolding here with Ridwan Kamil, um, generally seen as a successful and very progressive-minded governor of Indonesia's largest province, entering Golkar. Now the stage is set for a super ticket, like you mentioned, uh, led by Ganjar Pranowo, potentially, who is number one in the presidential polls with another dynamic regional head governor, uh, Ridwan Kamil, as his running mate. Kamil ranks fourth in the presidential polls, well ahead of everybody else, but well behind those top three who we always talk about, Ganjar, 
um, Prabowo, and another former regional head, Anis Basweda, in second place. Yeah, that is definitely the consistent trend. We've got Anis Basweda, uh, Ridwan Kamil, Ganja Prabowo, of course, the big guy himself, Jokowi. Um, that is where the talent is coming from. It's, it's, it's yeah. not coming from Mentang. Uh, and that is really heartening. I don't know. I And I don't think Ridwan Kamil knows yet. I mean, there's a lot that has to play out, whether yeah. um, Ganjar can actually leave safely because um, he cannot just leave PDIP and be done with it. Megawati is going to come after him. He's going to come after him with the biggest party in parliament, and her, her life will be all about making his miserable. And that's going to be, I mean, annoying to say the least. Um, there's still a lot we don't know. What, what can you what can you tell us about you know the the uh, the universe of unknowns yet stuff that has to be settled before we have a better idea of what Ridwell Camel's uh, joining Golkar means? Right. Well, um, yeah, Megawati making up her mind. Everything is uh, hinging on her right now. But um, yeah, there, there are some moves I think here and there hinting that. The other elites are starting to give up on her. So a move by Widodo is, is the next big thing. At one point, will he subtly break with Megawati and condone the nomination of Ganjar by the KIB, the United Alliance, consisting of Golkar, Pan, and Petika? And you can see Widodo starting to make preparations, I think, uh, in terms of hedging his bets. Widodo's objective uh, over the, the slightly longer term here is to secure the political future of his elder son, Gibran Rekabumi, who is keen to become governor in November 2024 of either uh, Central Java or preferably Jakarta. But those, pro th those races require the, you know, surpassing the nominating threshold equivalent to 20% of the seats of the respective provincial assembly. And in Jakarta, that's really tough because the opposition is really big in Jakarta uh, and the DPRD, the Provincial Assembly there, as is PDIP with about 25% of the seats. And the uh, other big party is Garindra. The KIB parties are very weak in Jakarta. So uh, Widodo has been making some overtures to Prabowo in recent weeks, public appearances with him. Uh, he consigned a task to Prabowo in uh, synthesizing intelligence data from assorted agencies, sort of basically expanding Prabowo's influence a little bit. And um, I think this all points to uh, an effort by Widodo to prepare for the potential of Garindra backing Gibran's gubernatorial run. And Prabowo himself has said that he'd be amenable to that just the other day. Uh, and all of this is happening because I think Widodo is preparing to make a break from Megawati in order to uh, make sure wait, that I mean, uh, Prabowo's got his own presidential ambitions. I mean, I mean that uh, support for Gibran is going to come at a cost, right? Namely, you know, don't stand in the way of of my bid for presidency. I mean, is, isn't he going to? There's going to be some expectation that uh, Jokowi supports him, no? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, maybe Prabowo will be content to be uh, Ganjar's defense minister again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> he, he clearly likes the gig. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's only so much bargaining Prabowo can do, uh, but um, uh, yeah. So it, it, maybe the scheme won't work. Maybe there will be a falling out. You, you're right. Maybe Prabowo is hoping that he'll get Widodo's endorsement for president at some point, and uh, if that, if and when that does not materialize, then maybe then Prabowo will. Uh, turn against Widodo, but but right now Prabowo is quite keen to be uh, associated with the Widodo camp. Right, that works for him. Um, now the um, and the decision by Ridwan Kamil to uh, join Golkar does that sort of impact the timing of? I mean, does that does that move Ganjar in any way? He's sort of sitting on the fence. Will he stay or will he go? Do you think that gives him sort of a permission structure to? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's got to happen pretty soon. I mean, it's for 13 months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he he will not be the uh, first regional head to join a political party. And <laughs> Ridwan Kamil has done that for him. Uh, yeah. Um, in, in this election cycle. Yeah, it paves the way for a move uh, by Ganjar. Also serves to help uh, further entice Ganjar because uh, the idea of a Ganjar-Kamil ticket uh, is is really going to be very strong. Kamil, Paulina shown, provides an extra few percentage points to whichever ticket he would join. And uh, with Ganjar already uh, in the lead uh, over Baswedan, uh, the addition of Kamil to the ticket would, would really cement yeah. places the front and line. These guys are popular governors of the first and third largest uh, mm-hmm. provinces in, in Indonesia. And they've got a track record to point to. I would have thought that, you know, it's pretty much a lock. Ridwan Kamil, of course, the governor of, of West Java and is by far the biggest province. Um, and, uh, what do we know of their relationship? Do the men like each other? And, you know, neither of these guys come from Golkar. They don't have the, the connections in the party. W- would that work against them at all? Uh, well, um, ordinarily, yes. Uh, or- ordinarily, Golkar is quite persnickety about uh, who uh, gets uh, <laughs> promotions to high levels in the party. So, this is a pretty remarkable development for Golkar. Uh, arguably, the most significant aspect of this is the, the implications for Golkar itself. Uh, I actually you know, tried to think of when the party recruited somebody of the caliber of Kamil into a high position in the party. Kamil is one of the party's vice party chairs, by the way. And I can't remember why. Yeah, I think <clears> that this is a first. I don't think Golkar has ever brought somebody like this into the party before. It's always been promoting people up through the ranks or else bringing in people that have a lot of baggage <laughs> that they, they bring on board, like uh, we yeah. want to and Prabowo back then. But for Ganjar and Ridwan themselves, or, uh, they do get along very well. They uh, uh, appear jointly quite a lot. Um, they've got uh, a similar kind of uh, attitude towards uh, their public persona. You know, they they uh, tend to have fun. Um, but they do have differences. Ridwan Kamil has uh, uh, got more of a macho uh, persona, uh, I would say, than uh, Ganjar does. And uh, Ridwan Kamil likes to wear military uniforms, that kind of thing. Is, uh, mm. or, or military. Yeah, pen yeah. yeah. Uh, so they have, they have a different style, um, maybe a slightly different uh, policy outlook, but still um, as democratically minded regional heads focused on service delivery. They are very much more in the orbit yeah. of Widodo and, and his uh, approach to governance than figures from the older regimes. Hey, podcast listeners, Jeff here. If you appreciate what we do here at Reformacy Dispatch, please consider supporting us. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash reformasi and choose the amount of money you want to donate. Kevin, Stephen, and I love doing the show, but we're looking for some money to hire a new editor, pay podcast hosting fees and, and licensing. That's buymeacoffee.com slash reformasi. A deadly clash at a Chinese-owned ferro-nickel smelter in North Marawali in Sulawesi on January 14th has left three dead and triggered a crackdown by the government. According to a labor union representing Indonesian workers at PT Gunbuster Nickel Industry, that's GNI, the company ignored repeated demands for management to comply with regulatory requirements regarding worker health and safety. A meeting between the union and management took place on 13th January, but without results. Well, joining our discussion is Imam Shofwan, the head of research at Jatam. That's the mining advocacy network. Jatam is the NGO to go to for understanding the environmental, social, and political costs of mining in Indonesia. And I hasten to add that Imam, as well as being a good friend, was also my assistant for many years until he went on to Bigger and better things. Imam, welcome. Uh, hello, Jeff. Hi, Imam. Fantastic to be speaking with you again. How are you? Uh, great, Jeff. How about you? 
Wonderful. Um, well, let's get into it. Um, what were some of the complaints? Well, can you sort of give us a list of the, the complaints, the, the main ones from labor mm -hmm. and, and the communities around the site of Morawali? What, what was it that they needed changing? Uh, several complaints already submitted by the labor union there. This is triggered by the two labor kill in 24 December. This is the TikTok star kill uh, when the smelter two of GNI blew, uh, blown, uh, and there were two, two there, there were two deaths. So there's actually two more yeah. in December died. Yeah, uh, uh, trigger the the bigger protest since the compensation are not yet paid by GNA that make the labor uh, union angry. They already complain about the safety equipment and not uh, fulfilled by the GNI. This is the continuing kill the worker. Uh, since 2022, there are eight uh, people killed uh, uh, during th uh, this year. Yes, so... Eight people were killed in 2022? At this smelter. Yeah. yeah, at this smelter. Uh, that's uh, so us how poor the safety equipment around the, the GNI areas. The dust, the lighting. Oh, the trucks, uh, right? The trucks yeah, on the road, the, too. Right. The truck on the road, the lighting are poor. Uh, and several other complaints already submitted by the labor union, but not one of them fulfilled, not get uh, a proper uh, solution from the from the GNI. That's why the protest erupted in the middle of January. Asimam, uh, when did uh, you make your trip to Morawali and North Morawali, and uh, with whom were you able to speak when you were visiting? Uh, I visited there on the middle of September. I spent 10, day, uh, 10 days uh, in both of Morowali and North Morowali. Mostly talked to the people around the nickel mining areas uh, and uh, also talked to the labor union and the indication of the Worker tension are already. I already feel the tension between the labor union and the companies, not only GNI but also other companies uh, are also already. Uh, how many up. how many mines have you visited in your career, Masimam? Since Chatan focus on the electric vehicle who are mainly based on the nickel mining. I visited, uh, in Morowali, I visited Imit in, uh, and sorry, other, sorry, Masima, sorry. in total, in total uh, how many times have you visited a mine site? So how many mine sites have you visited during the course of your career, do you think, uh, roughly? Uh, I think more than 15 uh, nickel mining around Indonesia. And how does uh, GNI how does uh, GNI compare to the other ten or fifteen mines that you've visited? Yeah, GNI based on the uh, people I interviewed are the worst okay. one. <laughs> it's the worst uh, since uh, they are get several complaints in the first years of their activities. They already dumb a village, uh, a transmigrant village in the North Morowali, and it's covered like 200 hectares uh, square uh, village and the party field. Uh, it's make them like a lake. Just dumped it without uh, any permission. The fillets are already covered by water right now. So it's flooded. And, and they, did it they have flooded. a permit from the government to do that? They went, did they get to the environmental impact report and all that stuff? They have government permission to do that? 
Ah, that's why the government always prioritize the investment. They protect investment, whatever they do, they can just do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also affected one uh, fisherman village called Tokonanaka. They just use the the sea between. So the Tokonanaka are in the ring one. Ring one of the areas. It's very close to the mining activities. The shipment of the of the coal of the ore uh, near the village and it's destroyed the, the area. Yeah, the the area. The fishermen. Okay, but um, so has the government? You know, the government send in uh, hundreds of soldiers, but has that? also been matched with some sort of promise to investigate the complaints what, what's the latest on that uh, they already deploy like seven uh, hundred military and police officer the focus of this deployment are to secure the productivity of the GNI, to activate the GNI again. again. I'm not sure about the investigation. Since my colleagues, uh, the Mongabe journalists, have been there and they found this information need to be verified, but it's not only three people killed. They found so many ballots around the, the uh, protest area uh, and the information spread uh, it's seven or eight people killed right. uh, during but, but, no, but no promises from from the government to investigate they're not sending um police they're not starting a, a commission it's it, it's being almost treated like a, a military operation and that's is that something you have seen before is this I guess the real question is, why is this so important? What is so important about this investment that the government's going to send in hundreds of soldiers and and uh, lock it down? Uh, based on the uh, record of the Jokowi during the second period, they prioritized the nickel mining above other things. They produce so many policies to make the investment easier. They uh, produce so many regulations to compensate the electric vehicle. They make everything easier and they will not let anything uh, disturb this. It's a, it's a, it's a huge um, investment priority for the government. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They, they um, cannot disturb with this uh, little thing. Uh, I'm so I'm so proud of you, Mom. Well, great great work, Jatam. Um, what is there anything? What 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 can listeners do if they want to help? If they want to know more, uh, what 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 can we do? Uh, I think if you want to understand this issue, the best thing you can do is visit the location. Watch uh, how worse the uh, nickel mining activity in the in the nickel mining areas. Uh, talk to the people uh, affected by the mining and talk to labor uh, work in the mining industry. This is the best way to understand uh, this situation. All right, everyone, book your tickets to Poso. All right, thanks Thank a lot. You, man. That's really great. Keep up the good work, okay. man. Okay, thank you, Dave. Hello, we are with Ruby Holifa. She is the Indonesia country head for the Asian Muslim Action Network. Ruby was uh, one of the leaders of the recent uh, Kupi uh, November uh, on uh, Muslim women. Ibu Ruby, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. Great to have you. Um, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Amman and also the, the Kupi 2 conference, uh, just uh, briefly? 
Yeah, uh, the Asian Muslim Action Network has been working on monitoring the implementation of women, peace and security uh, agenda in Indonesia. Indonesia. So our major work is strengthening women leadership at the grassroots level, and particularly working with interfaith community. The other is uh, consolidating the civil society, working closely in doing uh, a collective advocacy at the national level. But at the same time, we also working closely with local government in ensuring that the implementation of uh, women peace and security in Indonesia running very well. And in in relation to the Indonesia Women Ulama Congress or KUPI. Aman has been working closely since 2017. I think we are very much uh, supporting this new emerging uh, movement in Indonesia led by women ulama, the women cleric, together in advocating uh, women rights uh, from the perspective of uh, uh, Islam. So we are very happy recently. We were successful to host the second Congress of Indonesia Women Ulama and released a series of uh, several uh, religious opinion over uh, very controversial issues uh, in Indonesia. Uh, for example, responding the current situation on forced marriage uh, and also cases of uh, rape, including the female genital mutilation, the violent extremism and, and environmental degradation. We are very proud that under umbrella of uh, KUPI, our ulama, uh, male and female, uh, who believe on gender equality, they are actively engaged into national and local advocacy, uh, talk to our policymakers, and also provide uh, strong argumentation why government or the parliament need to release the new law relating to the protection of women uh, in Indonesia. So we are so exciting to see this emerging uh, movement, also witnessed by 32 countries around the world, in in particularly the Muslim countries. Um, Our idea is to let other countries learning from in. Indonesia, uh, in particularly opening up the exchange uh, learning more in the future so we can inspire and also uh, support any initiative led by women ulama in other countries to advocate the women's rights from uh, perspective of Islam. Now, I think that's uh, fascinating. Um, to, to put this in perspective for our listeners, um, I think I, I may just vague from 2017 first Kupi conference, but I'm not sure I even uh, heard about it at the time. So when this uh, happened, I was amazed that it was uh, taking place. Also amazed or impressed at the, the high-level government support that seemed to attract. Um, I think this is one of the biggest breakthroughs in human rights uh, in the Uyghur <laughs> era. Um, yeah. Would you agree with that? I mean, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Indonesia... Uh, Comparing to other countries, I think we have privileges on having a democratic space where the different interpretation uh, allowing access in Indonesia. And I think the work on gender in Islam has been here for many years. I think as long as I can detect since 1980s, the civil society together with the scholars already started in producing uh, some writings relating with gender in Islam from uh, progressive uh, views. And then a lot of training done uh, in Islamic boarding school in Pasantren, a lot of workshop inviting the religious leaders, understanding about human rights, democracy, women rights, uh, I think happening for many years. And the time on 2017 was actually a big big through for all actors that has been supporting the role of uh, religious leaders uh, came together and then declare the commitment to work collaborative way uh, in doing advocacy uh, uh, better because 
we don't want to be separated and anymore we'll helping each other so that's make efficient in terms of uh, advocacy and make the 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 campaign uh, widely uh, supported by the uh, uh, audience i think one of very good example recently last year before uh, parliament passed the new law on sexual uh, violence crime there was a huge mobilization among women uh, ulama uh, in a different level some of them entering the parliament opening the debate with islamic political parties that still rejected the bill at that time and gave a lot of argumentation and opened a lot of conversation with different actors inside the parliament but at the same time also on the ground educating people why indonesia need to have the new law on sexual violence crime and why as a muslim we need to support this because this is part of the islamic teaching uh, uh protection from uh, for the women from the dangers of uh, sexual uh, violence so it's a huge effort and i think mm, we are very proud uh, having uh, together uh, ulama but at the same time also civil societies uh, work hand in hand in uh, pushing uh, the national parliament yeah that was a, a huge uh, breakthrough that um, law against sexual violence and uh, it seems to have created some momentum uh, which led mm-hmm. into this uh, kupi 2 conference which had quite a bold agenda i thought can you uh, talk about um, the, the issues you mentioned forced marriage uh, rape and uh, female genitalia mutilation fgm Yeah, uh, Kupi has a, a regular Congress uh, to consolidate the knowledge from women ulama across Indonesia and then come up with a strong opinion uh, and provide strong argumentation. For example, ending child marriage, it was a strong fatwa in 2017 and it mm. was impacted a lot. to the way government the way government took uh, a strong stand uh, and uh, working closely with the constitutional court and using the argumentation coming from the congress and the second uh, congress we are very much how do you call it uh, worry about the growing of the forced marriage cases on the ground knowing that we already have a strong regulation on the increasing uh, marriage age in Indonesia from 16 to 19 years old but unfortunately at the same time attorney uh, general also release a regulation relating to marriage dispensation So that's a bit contradictory at, at the grassroots level because some parents are still receiving approval uh, from the court uh, uh, for marrying uh, the daughter uh, before six, before uh, 19. And therefore, uh, the element of forced marriage is very uh, high. So though child marriage become priority of the state to uh, abolish but i think forced marriage practices uh, in the name of local culture or in the name of religious practices are still going on so therefore mm. uh, we stand up on uh, 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 talking to people using the islamic perspective saying and putting argumentation why islam forbid the forced marriage because of the consequences that women receive in the forced marriage uh, practices including when kupi also agreed to release a fatwa relating with female genital mutilation though kupi don't use the term female genital mutilation as the global term uh, the global uh, term uh, normally you know uh, popularize these practices but kupi rather using the word I mean, the term coming from government is cutting and wounding of female genitalia. That actually bringing a very different nuance mm-hmm. to 
the way we talk to the people because uh. some people feel that the term female genital mutilation is not relevant for Indonesia because the fact that the fact the type of of a cutting of female genitalia in Indonesia not similar with what happened in Africa and some rejection happened some rejections among the policymaker and also uh, the people on the ground are still there so therefore we rather adopting the local term using cutting and wounding of female genitalia that exactly is happening whether mm. it is slightly just mm. you know uh, touching uh, the clitoris with the needle or it is really cutting because the practicing are there i think the research done by komnas perempuan and also mm. the university of gajamada in 2017 showing that in 17 kabupaten is a city and district in indonesia mm-hmm. i think they release a data 10% of uh, the female genitalia cutting and wounding it's happened as part of the delivery baby it's it's like a, a together uh in in when mother delivering baby and then right away uh the midwife doing it but i and think in so it's with yes. uh, about uh, 10% of births at that time in those districts yes yes meaning that is still there uh, uh is still happening and in comparison with the data released by kalyana mitra one of the organizations that working on this issue they also uh, worry about the existing of a uh, service provider of female genitalia cutting uh, in several uh, city for example in in jakarta there are quite number of a clinic and also the service providers in specific offering service for sunat perempuan yeah we call in yeah. indonesia so meaning that some people still preserving this uh, uh, practices and even providing uh, some specific you know a service and pretending using and approaching with uh, something like more hygienic uh, medical and and all of that because some doctors and also some midwives also involved in this kind of uh, services so i think is still there so therefore be strongly against any female genitalia uh, cutting and and wounding because this is not islamic at all and this is not obligation in islam at all because the sunnah or uh, circumcision is actually only for male for mm-hmm. the health uh, reason and hygienic uh, reason but there is no reason at all for uh, cutting uh, female genitalia or sunat uh, perempuan yeah well I'm, i'm i'm interested to ask in a minute about how that message was received but but first i want to go back to the um the uh, practitioners so you mentioned that lots of times there are midwives involved um is there any way to estimate what percentage of cases of fgm involve a midwife and and what percentage are done by other practitioners of some sort uh half and I, half maybe or? no i think is more done by uh, local practitioners okay. uh, midwife there is a also study and measuring whether midwife is actually agree on this kind of practices i think more than 57% uh, midwife uh, reject these practices but and i think the is it true that the uh, the national midwives association uh, ruled uh, against fgm and then ordered its members to to not perform it or else uh, they would risk losing their membership is that true yeah this uh very influential uh, actors in doing advocacy on ending uh, female genital mutilation uh, in Indonesia is the midwife association okay i think the midwife uh, along with the um, supporting ministry of health regulation 
uh, in 2014 to remove another regulation uh, about uh, sunat perempuan, uh, female circumcision. And midwife, I think association, they're also working hard uh, on supporting the government for ending any kind of uh, female genital uh, cutting. But I think the challenges that the midwife see on the ground is there are tendency for some of the family really having strong belief on the mm. sunat perempuan, the female circumcision, and demanding it as part mm. of the family tradition. But also, there is a strong belief for them that this is religious practices. Uh, so the midwife somehow in the dilemma in rejecting or accepting. So they are finally take decision to only practice in slightly like cleaning the area of the genitalia and uh, symbolically, so uh, like a symbolically, mm. but but some of them also doing it because the, the force coming from the family. So as institutionally, the midwife association strongly support ending female genital mutilation practices in Indonesia, but there are a lot of uh, story coming from individual still facing dilemma uh, mm. on the ground. I think along with the growth of intolerance uh, in Indonesia, some part of the city in Indonesia are strongly practicing uh, female uh, circumcision as part of the purification so and also they believe they some of them believe that this is is really religious practices that need to be applied in their family and other reason also they i don't know the way they twisted the messages from the government instead of the understanding that the government try to end any practices relating with female genital mutilation but I think some of the uh, clinic, according to the research done by Kalyana Mitra, then the clinic using the argumentation that this is obligation from the government. So a oh. lot of discourse surrounding, you know, misleading information, misinformation are there. That's need to be, you know, respond uh, uh, thoroughly uh, and particularly the people that associated with health services, for example, have to be wow. very clear in addressing why we need to end female genital mutilation because it doesn't contribute at all uh, yeah. to uh, female health. Yeah. So there's an issue of awareness and education and campaigning yeah. in that mm -hmm. sense. And do you see that coming from the government at a high enough level so far from the ministries involved? Yeah, this is one of very uh, strong uh, and priority uh, program uh, under Ministry of Women Empowerment. Hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of studies done by several universities uh, and also strong advocacy coming from uh, Komnas Perempuan, including, uh, I think, uh, universities of Kajamada has been uh, a long time to talk to the government that it is it is serious uh, practices that government have to release the uh, strong regulation and even actually prohibit the uh, female circumcision. But I think the government is still preparing for bigger uh, study to strengthen the argumentation. Oh, so are there, so are there plans for a, a major proper study to take place then yes. with government involvement? Yes, I think it's uh, after 2024, uh, according to National Plan of Action relating with ending female genital mutilation in Indonesia, uh, government released it, I think 2020, and they are ready to work um, together with inter-agency ministries and also civil society until 2030. I think they have a long, uh, long uh, wow. plan for this. So there is there already the national action plan. Uh, mm. But I think the promotion, 
and also uh, the how do you call it uh, the way how is implementing it seems like in isolated uh, area <laughs> so because it's not like uh, uh, very popular because I'm working on uh, helping the government uh, ensuring the implementation of national action plan on women peace and security including mm action plan on PVE uh, so we were a lot of civil society helping the government at the national and local level ensuring the program implementing but I think this one is a bit isolated because I don't hear any media coverage or <laughs> any news that actually uh, updating about the national action plan so to me it's about it's a, a bit worry actually because yeah. I think in Indonesia context the success of national action plan is because the presence and the involvement of civil society there without involvement of civil society i think the national action plan uh, is running very slow and uh, very business as usual so i'm 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 so worried about this national action plan and looking at all the uh, the document, uh, the the content are so nice and and very progressive, uh, but I think it need to be more visible to public, uh, including more visible in terms of mobilization, a lot of actors uh, to support the implementation of the national action plan on uh, ending FGM. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's a lack of urgency there. Mm-hmm. Um, is a problem just a, a misunderstanding because um, this issue has received so little attention for so long. It's been regarded as something that is taboo to discuss. So mm-hmm. is that a stumbling block? Is just getting people to understand what, what the issue is? Mm, I, I, I think one of the, the big obstacle inside the bureaucracy is the... I do got the the complexity of the bureaucracy and the way bureaucracy taking decision. For mm. example, I'm seeing the program from 2020 to 2025. For example, I think the 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 program is much more heavy on like preparing the research on all of that. So so. Uh, comparing to other national action plan, for example, that uh, BNPT or uh, the Ministry of Women Empowerment uh, doing on women, peace, and security, the program is more like uh, a, it's on the back burner. It's on the back burner. Yeah, it's it's more like bold, and you can see the more transformative because there are research there, but not having research like five years like that, but there are a lot of activities, not only research uh, going on, uh, but I think the way the design of the National Action Plan, I I do worry that uh, it's going to be very slow. The, the other, outside there, there are a lot of um, controversials among different actors. For yeah. example, we still remember that Majelis Ulama Indonesia or Indonesia Ulama Council ever released one of the fatwa number 9A year 2008 about female circumcision. And the fatwa is not strongly against. Right. Rather, rather, they put an opinion and we call it uh, makruh. Makruh means that uh if you do it it's not good but if mm-hmm. you leave it it is the best so something like that but it's very different with the way kupi formulate the fatwa kupi exactly prohibit uh yeah. are, do, you, so, do you find groups that are advocating for fgm or defending the, the practice uh, actively the, uh the of i think not exactly uh, the group but a lot of intolerance organization or the groups that showing intolerance in Indonesia, they have position believing that uh, female circumcision is Islamic uh, practices. So, and it is dangerous, of course. Uh, so then we need to bring more discourses 
you know, into the social media uh, and also the media itself, like you having the podcast and uh, really uh, addressing, you know, the perspective that need to be uh, prohibited because it is dangerous and it is nothing to do with uh, health. We are still having some people supporting, but I think the whole civil society the women groups, the feminist group, and also including the Ministry of Women Empowerment, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Religious Affairs, and the Ministry of Education, they are in the one uh, strong position to against any practices of uh, female genital uh, mutilation. And there are the the organizing or the ministries that actually. Uh, has responsibility to implement the national uh, action plan. Uh, I, I remember also in uh, 2014, uh, the head of MUE, uh, the, the uh, chief uh, association for Islamic clerics in Indonesia, was a Maruf Amin at that Mm-mm. time. And he said that uh, uh, female circumcision services should be available to those parents who want them. And uh, now he's the vice president, and he uh, delivered an address at the Kupi 2 conference, which had uh, outlined FGM on its agenda. So how do you read his position now? Has he changed his stance or not? I think individually, Maruf Amin, uh, one of typically the religious leaders that don't have a, like, um, not in the position of the progressive. It's more like moderate. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see that uh, the way he delivered the, you know, the speech and also statement relating with several issues is very much depend on uh, which institution. The shifting uh, of the perspective seems like that from Maruf Amin uh, as the representative of uh, MUI. And then uh, during the the kupi is totally different, yeah. but I we we want to use the the uh, political momentum that he's currently the vice president, and I think this very much uh, helping kupi in disseminating uh, the fatwa, in particularly relating with uh, prohibition of uh, female genital mutilation yeah so we we just want to use this momentum but i think the intensive conversation among kupi member with kiai ma'ruf amin uh, are there i mean until now we're still communicating uh, the results and i think she, he can accept because the argumentation that posed by kupi uh, and explain not only coming from the Islamic text or reference that's that's also having very strong against the female genital mutilation in any kind of form, but also mm-hmm. the others could be able to consolidate a lot of data coming from different research showing the uh, the situation of the victims of uh, female genital mutilation, uh, including also listing up and doing analysis uh, strongly about the international human rights uh, framework uh, relating with the female genital uh, mutilation and how Indonesia being pressed by a lot of international agency, including, I think, the SIDO committee, recently also Universal Periodic Review uh, of the UN also recommended to prohibit female genital mutilation. In that position, I don't think so that Maruf Amin should use the perspective of MUI. The Maruf Amin uh, uh, have to use a perspective of the state that's uh, believing that FGM is part of the violence against women. Okay, interesting. Wow. Well, um, yeah, nothing from the home of, uh, sorry, nothing uh, also yet from the health minister, Budi Gunadi Sadiqan, has he made any public statements on the issue of FGM so far? Um, not yet. Yeah, I think uh, okay. I haven't heard yet on that. But I do believe 
that Ministry of uh, Health strong supporter of ending female uh, FGM. Uh, I think that. But it's at, a lo- it's at a lower level than the minister level, though. Yeah. Only we don't have problem with the Ministry of Health because the the stand position uh, politically or the or the argumentation are very clear at the beginning and they already done uh, some of the intervention uh, on that. I think we are dealing with the public currently wow. because the existing of a lot of intolerance group that using female genital mutilation uh, to Islam Islamize, you know, to make people feel that they are yeah. more pure Islam. So that if if that's still growing uh, on the ground then we may see that these practices uh, will still carry on. Some people doing it, the, the traditional practitioner, uh, including midwife, was still in the dilemma uh, because mm. the, the service providers are also still uh, easy to access. And some people even using celebration for that. Can you imagine that? Yeah, yeah it's really a cynical tactic. Uh, we can still find uh, on the ground. So therefore, I think, yeah, we're still dealing uh, seriously this in the coming five years. I hope the next president will put this as a very serious, <laughs> how do you call it, uh, serious uh, issues Yeah, that uh, a state have to be very strong in uh, reducing uh, the policy. Yeah, absolutely. My my last question is about uh, allies that you have then on this issue uh, from other Islamic organizations, uh, maybe Nadatul Ulama's uh, women's wing, the Muslimat uh, Ennu. Yeah. Uh, are they helpful or uh, not yet? And no, how about uh, Muhammadiyah? I think mostly when people, when government started shifted uh, the term from FGM to female genitalia cutting and wounding, People feel that this is more direct and more showing that, uh, oh, cutting, something like that. So there's no multi-interpretation uh, among many actors. The, the wing organization like uh, Fatayat uh, or Muslimat or uh, Aisha, I think in general, they don't agree with any practice of that. But they are, I think we cannot we cannot guarantee uh, for them to, you know, to continue the perception about it. Uh, it's really depend on the leader. Leadership is matter in this organization. But this time, I think the influence of Kupi with the strong fatwa released in Jepara recently relating with prohibit FGM in Indonesia was actually witnessed by a lot of uh, potential and key leaders uh, in Nadatul Ulama and also Muhammadiyah. So I do believe more and more people educating about uh, the the exactly uh, female genital mutilation. The reason that Kupi uh, already explained on the fatwa, I hope people read it comprehensively and then share to public so public can get more education about the dangers of FGM. I hope we don't have to wait another five years for another Kupi conference. I know, <laughs> I, know I know, but I do believe that the 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 uh, the movement are there uh, on the ground. Uh, uh, reflecting from the previous fatwa on ending child marriage and ending the sexual violence, I think we do, we call it uh, the member itself. I mean, from Kupi, uh, currently 275 organizations, including Islamic State University, campaigning for the fatwa uh, itself, I think, and having a lot of discussion in public, uh, online, uh, offline, and educating uh, public. But at the same time, also practicing for ending it, uh, not doing it in the family and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah these things are, all these things are so important. Yeah, yeah the, the harassment and assault and rape and uh, forced marriages and uh, FGM. And, and the FGM in particular is one that is so poorly understood. It just gets so little attention, and yet it's uh, really re- remarkably widespread. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, hopefully a fertile area for uh, 
leaders such as yourself to, to raise awareness and uh, bring about some, some positive change that the next generation really needs. So, Yeah. Ruby Khalifa, thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you and uh, keep up the great work. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's the program. Thanks so much to Ruby Holifa and Imam Shofwan for joining. Our editor is Stephen Handoko. Music by the Blue Dot Sessions. To support our podcast, please donate through buymeacoffee.com slash Reformasi. For a free trial of Kevin's Reformasi newsletter, go to reformasi.info. This podcast is a production of On the Public Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.